to you all. And Carrie, if you could do me a quick favor, I just realized during that song I forgot to plug in my USB port for the PowerPoint. Thank you so much. Um, Happy New Year, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And real quick, by show of hands, who loves the snow? Like two people? That's true, it is pretty. Has nothing to do with the sermon, I was just curious. But Happy New Year to you all, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Also, I'd like to thank Steve. He texted me this morning that because of the weather and their gaggle of kids that they weren't going to be here today. Uh, but I want to sincerely thank him for, for doing a great job last week. I knew he would. Um, I'm just happy you guys welcomed me back. Uh, but uh, I, I knew Steve would be, would be great. And, uh, so excited to have him up here in the pulpit last Sunday. And want to just thank him so much. Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we have turned our calendars from December to January, may we be reminded that you are the God who makes all things new. You are the God who gives new life. The Lord who causes us to be born again, who makes a new heaven and a new earth. We pray for this year, our Lord. We pray that we would be a people marked by our trust and reliance on you, not hoping in our circumstances, but trusting in you alone. Lord, we pray that you would transform and sanctify us as your people. We pray that we would turn from what is evil and cling to what is good. Lord, we pray for a year of maturing as your people and growing as your church. And Lord, we pray for our community. This year, we pray for new ways to reach people in our local community with the love of Christ and with the gospel message. Lord, we pray for opportunities to share your gospel and be witnesses. We pray for greater boldness in proclaiming your goodness and grace to others. Lord, we pray for people who... Need our prayers today. I want to pray for Aldine, who's in the hospital, battling pancreatitis, and encouraged by good reports for how she's doing, but just want to continue to pray for her, for her recovery, for her to be able to return home quickly, Lord, for other symptoms, and I'm sure pain, for those things to subside. Lord, I want to pray for my grandfather, who's uh, experiencing some significant complications that are a result of cancer that he's had. Lord, I want to pray for, for him and his health and just overall well-being. Lord, I want to pray for my mom and aunt and uncles, Lord, as this is a, a difficult thing for all of them. And I want to just pray for your nearness to them. Lord, I want to continue to pray for uh, Charlie Alt as he's recovering from health issues that he's had. And um, Lord, I want to pray for him as he's at his home and recovering and recuperating and just want to pray for a speedy recovery for, for Charlie. want to pray for Donna and Wendell as they uh, are also on the mend from COVID and Lord, want to pray for their health and Lord, again, just encouraged by uh, reports of, of uh, good responses to illness. 
So Lord, we pray for these people. We pray for our time in your word. Lord, we pray that you bless this time, that it would be a sacred time that is set apart to study your holy word and that we may be pointed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is a new year. 2020 was rough. Certainly there are ways in which the Lord blessed us all, but 2020 was a tough year for our society. So as we come to 2021, I wanted to start this year with a short three-week series. And my goal with this series is to help point us and orient us to personal holiness, to the life of our church, and to reaching our community. And that order is important because we're starting today with ourselves as individual people. Lord willing, next week we'll be talking about our church. And the plan is for the following week to talk about our community. And as I begin with the subject of holiness, I want to recommend a book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Maybe some of you have read that book before. Bridges went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. He was a great author and longtime staff member and speaker with the college evangelistic organization, The Navigators. Personal holiness is an important place to begin to consider before we look at how we engage with our church and our community. And I should also mention, as I often do, that as we talk about the subject of holiness, really we're just scratching the surface. It's talked about all throughout the Bible and has a lot of biblical richness to it. And so again, one sermon is really just the tip of the iceberg. I think that our personal holiness is something that's an important place to begin with as we begin a new year. And so again, we'll spend our time today talking about what holiness is, the holiness that is in Christ, and God's call on our lives for holy living, short and sweet. So first point to begin with today is defining what holiness is. What is it? Now, I think in one sense, holiness has this almost an ethical quality where we have a sense of what it means, but where I think it can be difficult to put into words. So I'll begin by giving my definition. And then that there are three aspects to holiness. The first part is moral perfection. And perhaps that's the area that we most easily associate with holiness. Second aspect of holiness is very much like the first, but holiness is a separation between the holy and the unholy. And especially in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew, uh, that's really a lot of what the, the word holiness means, is this separation. Thirdly, holiness is an attribute of God, which also communicates his uniqueness his transcendence, and his inherent otherness from his creation. God is holy and can never be unholy because his holiness is part of his essence. Twice in the Bible, we're given glimpses of the throne room of heaven. First in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. 
With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I'll stop right there. But if you continue reading in that chapter, we see Isaiah's, basically his terror at the awesomeness of beholding this holy place. And we see the same chant in the Bible's last book, the book of Revelation chapter 4, from the Apostle John. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is holy. He is morally perfect. He is distinct from the unholiness of creation. And he is transcendent in his holiness. God's initial creation was holy. But sin made the world unholy. And as I said a moment ago, a major emphasis in the Old Testament is the distinction between what is holy and that which is unholy. As they were nearing the promised land, the Israelites were told in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of the other nations. And we see that a lot during the early history of Israel. God calling people not to be like the rest of the world. I realize I linked to the wrong verse. We'll get to Exodus 19 in a second. A major emphasis of holiness in the Old Testament, again, is this separation. God's people are a holy nation. God is a God of righteousness. And so he establishes his law, which exposes our wickedness. God is the God of life. And so we have laws in the Old Testament about how the Israelites were to deal with the dead and with dead animals. Because God's people are holy, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's talk in the Old Testament about the clean and the unclean. Again, it's separating the holy purity of God from the common impurity and defilement of the world. God has laws which deal with the Israelites and how they were to interact with surrounding nations because they were set apart as a holy nation. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6 on the board. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured, treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's what Moses is told by God. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Israelites demand a king. They're warned about all of the negative consequences of having a king. But their rationale is given twice in that passage, in verse 5 and again in verse 20, that they want a king so that they can be like all the other nations. But that's exactly what God does not want from us. He doesn't want us to be like the rest of the world. The world is sinful. And that idea certainly carries over into the New Testament. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Or another example, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible has a book, Leviticus, dedicated to the subject of holiness. All of the rituals and cleansing, all of the laws in Leviticus are meant to point us to the holiness to which God calls us. Because approaching a holy God requires holiness. And that brings us to our second point. The holiness of Christ. We are not holy. God gave the law. The people didn't follow it. We don't follow it. Because the world is sinful and fallen. Because we are sinful and fallen. We cannot live up to God's holiness on our own. We can't no matter how hard we try. And that's important to remember as we understand God's grace. God is holy. God hates sin. In Habakkuk 1 verse 13 it says, You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. We like to talk about grace and we should. But there can be a temptation to want to focus on the fact that we're forgiven but at the same time overlooking the sins we're forgiven for when we need to be mindful of both. Because it is when we understand the weight of our sins that we can truly begin to appreciate God's grace. I know that growing up, some of my teachers would grade us on a curve. It guaranteed that some were going to get A's, no matter how they did on the test or how hard the test might have been that on a bell curve, some people are guaranteed to get A's and some are guaranteed to fail because you're not just being graded based on the test itself, but you're also being graded relative to how everyone else does on the test. And too often we have that view of morality. We like to make comparisons. And look, it's easy to find people who are worse than you. But that is not the standard that God uses. We are not judged based on how we compare to everyone else. The standard that he uses is how we measure up to perfect and absolute holiness. And when that test is life, everything we do, everything we should do but don't do, everything that we think that we shouldn't think, no matter how good we do, we don't get perfect scores. But our God is a perfect and holy God. And so his son came into the world. And like God, Jesus is holy. He is morally perfect. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus was without sin. In the Gospels we see Jesus bringing cleanliness and purity into the world. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encounters a woman who has a condition where she has a continual flow of menstrual blood. And that would have made this woman perpetually unclean according to the Old Testament. 
In that passage, she touches the fringes of Jesus' garments. Jesus tells her that her faith has made her well. Miraculously, she's healed. Now, when this woman touched Jesus, she did not make Jesus unclean. Jesus makes the unclean clean. We see the same thing in the Gospels where Jesus is the one who cleanses the temple. Only Jesus can do that because only Jesus is holy. We are not morally perfect and holy. But Jesus is the holy one who came into an unholy world to make God's people holy. That is achieved through his gospel. We are not holy, but Jesus is and he makes us holy. When we come to faith in Christ, in one sense, we are already holy because we are set apart from an unholy world. We are set apart, again, that's part of what holiness is. We are set apart as God's children. And that holiness is something that can come only through Christ and believing in him. We cannot make ourselves holy, but Jesus can. And that is a holiness that comes at the moment we are born again given new spiritual life through Christ and justified by faith. Where is your hope? God is a perfect God who will only accept perfection. Not pretty good, not really good, but perfectly good. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world, and in spite of the fact that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Jesus forgives us. He offers forgiveness to all who believe in him. And when we trust in the Son of God who came into the world, who lived a perfect life, there is grace. And with that, we come to a third point, God's call for us for holy living. Again, in one sense, we are already holy in the sense that we are set apart. But in another sense, the New Testament and the Bible are constantly calling God's people to live lives of holiness. And our passage this morning, our main verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, calls us to be holy. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It's a process throughout life. Paul says that we are to cleanse ourselves of every defilement. Again, we are born again through the Spirit and sanctified through the Spirit, but we also have an active role in the process based on how we live and the choices we make. Again, we are saved by faith. That is the work of Christ. But we do play a role in living lives of holiness or choosing to sin. First Thessalonians 4, 7 tells us, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God calls his people to be holy. In Leviticus 11, verse 44, God gives a command to be holy. It says, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. 
And that verse is later picked up by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.16. Again, getting at how we are to live our lives. And saved entirely by grace through faith. But that does not mean that sin is okay. God still calls upon each of us to live holy lives. Because for the person who has placed faith in Christ, we have been given a new life. The Bible says that we are a new creation. Romans 6 says that we have died with Christ to sin. Romans 6.11 says that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us to hold fast to the good. And in Paul's letters, he makes numerous lists of virtues to cultivate and vices to avoid. And God wants us to be holy because he is holy. Because that's the life that Christ died for us to have. And because it's also a better way to live because it's in accordance with God's will and righteousness than to live against it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We are blessed when we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. God wants us to have an insatiable desire for righteousness. Now, the world is sinful. There's sin all around us and sin in our own lives and in our own hearts. And so one of the tragedies of the world is that our world can twist holiness and make it a thing that seems undesirable. There can be this temptation for holiness to seem boring. Living in accordance with the will of a righteous and holy God is not boring. But our world connects holiness to this caricature of Puritanism or legalism and rules. Not that there's anything wrong with Puritanism, by the way. But I think we oftentimes misunderstand what they believed. And it's that misunderstanding that we hold up this sort of stodgy, unfun, whatever is fun or enjoyable, basically being opposed to that and thinking that that's somehow holiness. Holiness is not the antithesis of anything fun or enjoyable or that we like to do. As we do with so many of the other things that are good and that God wants for us, our cultural view influences us and makes us think that it's something that's going to be less enjoyable than what the world values. And so the first thing we need to do is to renew our minds and consider God's holiness. A God so powerful and mighty that in the heavens they never stop proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That that is the God we worship. And considering God's holiness should influence our worship of God. And it should stir our affection for God. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. His holiness extends throughout his entire creation. 
Psalm 96, verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Also calling upon the people of the world to recognize God's grandeur and majesty. Exodus 15, 11 points to God's holiness and uniqueness. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? And we could keep going all day long. Again, holiness is talked about all throughout the Bible. God is absolutely holy, and therefore every sin we commit is an affront to his holiness. We tend to think of sin as, you know, really bad sins. And then sins that maybe aren't such bad things that we do. And in some ways, I think that's helpful. For the conduct of the people of God, I would even say it's biblical. Worldly punishments for sins are not always the same in the Bible. Being a little bit prideful does not, in the Bible, in life, get the same punishment as killing somebody. They're both sins, but certain things we do treat differently. But all sins are in affront to God and lead us away from God. Because for a God who is absolutely holy and righteous, any sin, no matter how small we think it is, is still an affront to God and a rebellion against his absolute holiness. Plus, we sin all the time. We do things all the time that are selfish and prideful. We do things where we fail to show grace and forgiveness. We have times where we fail to love our neighbors. And every sin affects us. It affects the people around us. It contributes to the sinfulness that's in our world. It turns us away from God and his holiness. And it continues to foster habits of sin and attitudes of sin where we justify sin. We struggle with sin. I've made this point before, but not only do we not live up to God's perfectly holy standards, we don't even live up to our own standards. We know we're not as good as we could be. We know we don't live up. But God points us to the life that he desires for us. And it's a high standard because that standard is perfection. So what is our attitude when we sin? For some, it can be tempting to want to think, well, I'm forgiven, so it doesn't really matter. That's a wrong attitude towards sin. And it's sadly a view towards sin that too many churches take. Our sin does matter. It's why Jesus went to the cross. And let's never forget that. That's the price that forgiveness costs. And so we continue to pursue holiness. And that should always be our goal and our focus. Wanting to live a life of holiness for God and for his glory. Because sin is first and foremost an affront to God. And it's a rebellion against what God has called us to. In Psalm 51, David has had an affair with Bathsheba. And he's sent her husband to the front lines in the war to be killed off. But when David confesses in Psalm 51, 4, he says to, to the Lord, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's a sin against God. 
Personal holiness matters. But for us as sinful people, that pursuit is one that lasts throughout our entire lives. Because we never achieve perfect holiness in a fallen world. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work at it, we still have struggles. We still have vices. But that again should point us to the goodness of God. That he gives grace in spite of our sinfulness. Some circles make lots of prohibitions, lots of rules. Certain behaviors that are especially looked down upon or perhaps even extra-biblical legalistic rules. And that can be crushing and discouraging. The pursuit of holiness is not meant to crush people. And it's not meant to make us prideful. Again, our holiness is not contingent upon someone else's. God does not grade on the curve. The sins that we don't commit should not make us more prideful towards other people. For areas where we've overcome, we should be thankful to God. But it should never cause us to look down on others or feel better than others. And that can be a temptation. Again, there's no shortage of sins that we can see in our community, in our society, and around the world. And some things are things we know we personally would never do. That can lead to pride. But every one of us has areas where we struggle. You might have an area of struggle that's different from someone else. You might have an area of sin in your life that for someone else is not a struggle and vice versa. But we all have areas of sin in our lives that we need to continually be combating and working through and repenting of and turning from. Again, a society can elevate. Different cultures have different sins that they look at, look at as being especially bad. In American society, we, and these are sins, things like lust and drunkenness and laziness. Again, all of those are sins. Those are certain areas that we can, I think, consider to be especially bad. Other cultures sometimes take a more serious view of anger than American society does, where I think we get more permissive of it. So it changes, but God's standard does not change. God's word does not change. And I give these examples because, again, the point is that we all have areas in our lives that are sin. Other sins, as a society and culture, I don't think we make such a big deal of, that are still sins. That are still unholy. Pride. Gossip. How are you doing in every single area of your life where it's possible to sin? Again, remembering that sin is not just about sins that you commit. It's about the things that you should do but don't do. It's about the heart and your mind. The attitude that you have towards other people. And about God. Who's perfect? No one. The good news is that there is grace. And so on this first Sunday of 2021, my challenge for all of us this year is to pursue holiness. No one should be puffed up or prideful. 
And that should not be the reason why we pursue holiness, to be prideful or feel good about ourselves, but because it's good in itself. Not so that we can feel like we've earned something with God, but for the sake of living life how God wants us to live. Not so that we can compare ourselves to others, but so that we can have deeper communion with the Lord. And so I want to close with three brief points on the pursuit of holiness for this year. First, this is another reason why it's so important to have good habits of spending time in the Bible and studying God's word. Because it's not just about a sermon. It's not just about a preacher that you watch on TV. We need to study God's word ourselves. God is holy and always does what is right. We, we are not holy and do not always know what is right. And so we must continually study God's word because not all situations in our lives are black and white where it's obvious what we should do. And so we must continually study God's word, know his word, apply his word, and approach things with biblical wisdom. And it is through the Bible that we see God's continually holy actions in the lives of his people. There is nothing God has ever done in your life that was not holy. A second point. While it's important to know the Bible, as we pursue holiness this year, we all have areas in our lives that we already know about where we're unholy or where we need to grow in holiness. And again, that area for me might look different than for you. Again, we have different things that we struggle with. But the areas that are already kind of on your heart and in your mind is areas where you know you're sinning or you know it's a struggle or you know it's tempting you to sin or put you in vulnerable places. Those are good places to start. Third, and I've already touched on this, so it'll be brief, but we must remember the holy God who has called us to holy living, remembering his holiness. Meditate about his holiness. Worship him because of his holiness. Love him for his holiness. And that is my prayer, that as we begin this new year, that we be a church that is growing together in holiness. Our work as a church and our work in the community begins first with individuals who are devoted to God and who are growing in holiness to glorify God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a holy God and that while we were unholy people, your Son came into the world. Lord, he is the one who brings cleansing and righteousness through the perfectly holy life that he lives. Lord, and through the death that he died, he allowed us to be adopted as your children. May we praise you for that, Lord. Lord, in times where we struggle, May we rejoice that there is grace, but let us continually have a desire to pursue holiness 
and righteousness and living to your glory. Lord, as that is both a blessing that you have given to us and the best way to live. In Jesus' name, amen.